name of Jesus and know that when you do, man, it makes a difference. Hallelujah. John said, demons tremble when I call. Well, praise God. Somebody, one more time, give the Lord the ovation of the morning. Come on, give him a clap and a shout right now. Well, praise God. We gather in this room today to celebrate the apex, the crown jewel, the Super Bowl of our faith. And that's this reality. Jesus is alive. I got a few of you that believe it. How about some... How about some Latin folk, Cristo vive. Come on, how about some country folk, he got up, hallelujah. How many of y'all believe that Jesus is alive in the room today? You know, he's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. There's been a lot of wannabe messiahs through the years. There was 400 in the time of Christ alone. But if you take and you look in the tombs of Buddha, Buddha's still there. Confucius' tomb is occupied. Come on now, Muhammad's tomb is occupied. But you go into the tomb of Jesus, you'll find out he is not there. He is risen, just like he said. I'm ready to preach to you today. If you're ready, shout, I'm ready. So honored to be with you this morning. Thank you for coming to the house of the Lord. If you're visiting with us, we are thankful that you are here. I'm looking at Luke 24. You by live stream travel right along with me. We're going to be showing this uh, on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. But it's Luke 24 verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Come on. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise again. And they remembered his words. And then Revelations 1.18 says, I am he who lives and was dead. Watch this. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to hell and death. I want you to note this last verse. Jesus said in Revelations, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I'm going to preach for just a few minutes along these lines. This changes everything. How many of you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything? If that's you, give God a praise right now. Slip up your hands and let's learn together. Father, thank you for thousands of people that I've been honored and privileged to preach to today, but nobody's more important than the person sitting right in front of me at this moment. I thank you that you have a word for everybody in the house. Send the kind of anointing that makes the devil panic. Hallelujah. Send the kind of anointing that gives people new life. Thank you for the resurrection, Jesus. We love you. Somebody give the Lord the ovation of the morning right now. Come on. 
Tell your neighbor, this changes everything. This changes everything. I'll take just a little in the monitors if I can get it. This changes everything. I want to tell you that I believe with all my heart and with everything that is within me that Jesus Christ is the real deal. Come on. I said earlier that 400 so-called messiahs claimed that title in the time of Christ, but there was only one. MC Hammer would say that was too legit to quit. Come on, somebody. And his name was Jesus Christ. And the truth is, he was the only one and is the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. Jesus paid the price for us and he paid it all and he is genuine and today I want to share with you some things that that guarantee that Jesus is who he says he is and I want you to have an encounter with truth because when you encounter truth this changes everything I want to talk to you today about evidence I want to talk to you for just a moment about the fact that the evidence concerning Jesus is irrefutable. And though I love what I feel, and though I appreciate the fact that when I come to church and I come into the presence of the Lord, I experience His presence. How many of you are thankful for what you feel when you're in the presence of the Lord? Let me hear from you if you're thankful for that. But hear me in this room. We've got to know that there's something more than a feeling as it relates to our faith. I wouldn't give you two cents for a Christianity or a relationship religion based on old wives' tales and superstition or even tradition standing alone. I believe in Jesus today because I'm a cognizant thinking man. I believe in Jesus because of the evidence this thing is real this is more than Santa Claus this is more than the Eastern uh, Bunny this is more than the tooth fairy theology this is reality Jesus was born Jesus lived Jesus died and he rose again who believes that today anybody so I'm not here today to give you my opinion. You don't need my opinion. You need fact and truth because the truth is what will set you free. I want to stir up the faith of believers and I want to awaken faith in the skeptic because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word faith there is a very powerful word. It means the assurance, the belief, the fidelity. It's learning that God's word is true and it's accurate and, and we can count on it and we can believe what the Bible says see look at the evidence today concerning Jesus I want to help you weigh out the truth because the evidence is irrefutable there is geographical evidence there is there is historical evidence there is archaeological evidence and it exists today and it tells us this reality look at me everybody Jesus is real. It exists. He existed. He, he walked on planet earth. He did everything the Bible says that he did. Hear me in this room. The tomb of Jesus was honed out of rock in a, the hillside of Jerusalem, not some mythological place like Mount Olympus. This man, Jesus, he lived, y'all. The, 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 the people and players around his story, they've been documented. The Sanhedrin who tried 
outside Jesus. The Sanhedrin were an actual body of believers that met frequently in Jerusalem. They were believers in the law and they were leaders. The historical players in the life of Jesus are well documented. Herod is documented. Pilate is documented. I was recently at the place where he lived during the time of Christ in Caesarea on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea at his mansion. Joseph of Arimathea is documented. The Sanhedrin documented. Annas documented. One of the high priests, Caiaphas, documented. Even Pilate when I was in Caesarea, I actually saw a stone, and on that stone was chiseled out the name Pilate with the date that he lived there. I, I saw the steps that Jesus walked on at Caiaphas' house. I was right here in Caesarea, and this is where I saw the stone with Pilate's name on it. I've stood at the empty tomb. This is not hearsay. This is not fantasy. I, I want to tell you the places and times and teachings of Jesus are documented in the Word and then they have outside sources that support the fact that Jesus lived. Hallelujah. We are told of the resurrection. If you study your Bible, we are told of the resurrection in the book of Luke. And he, Luke is a medical doctor. He is Dr. Luke. He was highly trained. He was a trained and accredited physician from Macedonia. It was Dr. Luke, the physician. It was Dr. Luke the physician who wrote that Jesus showed himself on many occasions alive. If anybody ought to be able to identify someone who was a cadaver, but now he is alive, it seems like it would have been the physician, Dr. Luke. How could Luke be so dogmatic? How could Luke be so sold out to this reality, being a medical doctor trained in Macedonia? How could he be so radically sold out to this reality? You know why he was so dogmatic? Because he was an eyewitness of a resurrected Jesus. He saw him with his eyes. He saw him dead and he saw him alive. Hallelujah. Again and again and again, Jesus appeared before people following his resurrection. In fact, there were over 500 that saw him at his ascension. Glory to God. The Bible said in Acts 1, until the day which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had been given the commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself. What this alive 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 after his suffering with many infallible truths hear me in the house infallible proofs are indisputable evidences that from which something is surely and plainly known it was evidence Jesus stood before them alive historical evidence says Jesus is alive geographical evidence says that Jesus is alive archaeological proof demands a verdict this thing is real hallelujah this is not a fairy tale this is not a good story this is not an old wives tale this is not a legend but this is absolute fact your Jesus lived he died and he rose again they laid him in a tomb and he rose on the third day Jesus is alive if you believe that make a little noise in the room right now Come on, this ain't here comes Peter Cottontail religion. This is not Santa Claus is coming to town faith, but this is the fact that Jesus is alive and he's alive in me.
So as a cognizant, thinking, intellectual man, I'm drawn into the fact that Jesus is alive because the historical architecture, uh, the, the historical and, and the geographical evidence demands that I note that. Even, even archaeology tells me that Jesus is alive, but then we go even further. There, there's not just the things that we see in archaeology and the things that we see of the historical fact of Jesus, but then there is also the transformation of the followers of Jesus Christ. Those who followed him experienced radical change and that was the evidence and that is the proof. This should be enough to shake the foundation of every skeptic and every doubter because before the resurrection, the disciples were scaredy cats. Before the resurrection, they were cowards. But after the resurrection, they were courageous. Before the resurrection, they were fear-filled. But after the resurrection, they were faith-filled. They went from a questioning mind to a confident mind. They went from a seeking direction to giving direction. They went from shaking in their boots to shaking the world with the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they saw Jesus alive, something said to them, if he can rise from the dead, then nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. The empty tomb is proof that with God, nothing is impossible. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bound your children are. I don't care how addicted someone is. I don't care how broken their past. I don't care how dead their situations. I don't care how great their struggle. I don't care how weak they feel the empty tomb shows me that with Jesus nothing is impossible there's nobody he can't heal there's no marriage that he can't restore there's no child that he can't save there's no daughter that he can't deliver there's no family that he can't put back together again there's no demon he can't handle there's no devil he can't overcome the empty tomb is proof that with God nothing shall be impossible because my God specializes, watch, in turning crucifixions into resurrections. He specializes in making a way out of no way. The proof of his resurrection is in the very lives of the believers that followed him. There are no less than 16 eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Christ Jesus in the Bible. You, you may want to call it a hoax, but the truth is, who would die for a hoax? Well, I better say that again. I said, who would die for a hoax? Somewhere one of the disciples would have said, you know, we stole his body. One of the disciples would have said, you know, he really, we never really saw him. But look at the record. Peter was crucified. Andrew was crucified. Matthew filleted alive. John boiled in oil and drugged through the streets of Alexandria by horses. James crucified. Philip crucified. Simon crucified. Thaddeus killed by arrows. James, the brother of Jesus. You know your family will call you out. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. I say, if you're crazy, your family will call you crazy. But even his brother had to acknowledge the fact he was dead, but now he's alive. 
Thomas was speared to death. Bartholomew was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, was filleted alive. Peter had already proven his willingness to deny the Christ. What changed him? What changed all the others? You know what it was? They knew that Jesus was absolutely alive after being dead. So they preached Jesus everywhere. They, they were bold. They, they couldn't be silenced. They were unstoppable because they had seen him alive. They were transformed by the resurrection. This thing is real. Hallelujah. Our Bible is real. Our New Testament is real. The canonization of our New Testament, those that were included in the New Testament, they had to be eyewitnesses of Jesus they had to see him alive they had to see him with their eyes you know why these men were willing to die because they saw him in the on the cross they saw him be laid in the grave they saw him die but they saw him raise again they heard him preach they handled him they touched him and it changed everything see the transformation not only of those saints in the New Testament but the transformation of the multitudes including many listening today provide irrefutable evidence I was wondering is there anybody that's living proof that Jesus is alive oh I know I'm doing a little teaching right now but look down your road and see if you see anybody that's living proof tell your neighbor I'm living proof yeah, 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 I, I'm, I'm living proof. See, see, this building is full of people who used to be jacked up, full of people who used to be addicted, full of people who used to be messed up, full of people who used to be bound, full of people who used to be in sin. But now, look at you. You're in church on Sunday morning, and you've been set free, and he that the sun sets free is free indeed. Tell your neighbor, I'm the evidence. I, I'm the evidence. I'm the evidence. Anybody been delivered in this room? Anybody been set free in this room? Anybody been saved in this room? Somebody giving praise if you know who you are and you are living proof. Oh, my Lord. We testify, don't we? I said we testify. Come on, we, we've had thousands of people here today. I wonder if there's anybody who, who would admit I used to be addicted. Stand up if you used to be addicted and you're not addicted anymore. Oh, alcoholism, drug addiction, prescription drugs, broken off of your life. Somebody ought to look around at the evidence and give God a crazy praise right now. Oh, my, my. Are there any cancer survivors in the room? Where are the cancer survivors? Come on, if, you had a, if you're a cancer survivor, jump on your feet right now. If you're a cancer survivor, get on, yeah, get on your feet right now and say, take that devil. Say, take that devil. You won't steal my faith today. Not today, devil. I know too much about him. He's real. Somebody give him praise if you believe it. Everybody around you is evidence. Your whole row is full of evidence. Tell your neighbor, this whole row is full of evidence. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know about the row in front of me. Maybe they can't praise you. Maybe the row behind me can't praise you. Maybe them folk over there can't praise you. But this row right here, God has been too good to us for us to be religious and cute and quiet. You know, here lately I've been having unusual people follow me on social media. I've had witches follow me. And they're telling me they're witches. And, and Friday, I had a guy follow me. He said he was Satan. You said, Pastor Rayleigh, what did you do? Did you block him? My granddaddy would say, foot no. I didn't block them. I said, y'all come on. If I can't handle a Twitter follower that says he's the devil and a witch or two that wants to follow me, then I ain't got any power. But you know what? Them jokers have to read my same sanctified anointed updates every day. So I say, come on, devil. God has been too good to me. You think I'm worried about that? After I look at an empty tomb, I know the Lord is real. High five your neighbor and say he's alive. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. I feel like preaching. See, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. See, you and I know too much about him to doubt him. See, the evidence is irrefutable. In fact, Matthew 27, 57 says that in the evening, when it had come, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had honed out of rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. And he departed. Here's the story of Joseph of Arimathea giving his tomb to Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea is very powerful because Arimathea is a Hebrew word. It's from the word Rama, and it means the place of adultery. And I'm glad to know that Joseph, the idol worshiper, became Joseph, the disciple of Christ. See, everything changes when you follow Jesus. And maybe you've not ever bowed your knee to an idol of stone or wood, but something at one time or another sat on the throne of your heart. Someone or something was in control. But when you bowed your knee to Jesus, everything changes. See, Joseph in this story, he's one of the 71 elected, the Sanhedrin, for a lifelong term. Joseph was a man of great influence who had up until this point probably followed Jesus in secret. But I think because of who Joseph was and his knowledge of the law, he knew that the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus was nothing more than a farce. There were so many injustices as it related to Jesus and what he went through in his trial. Just to name a few, even before the trial, Jesus was already guilty before he was proven guilty. There was no such thing as innocent until proven guilty. Jesus was already considered to be guilty. 
There were false witnesses who were secured to testify against Jesus. There was usually an extravagant screening process that was gone through for every witness, but not in this situation concerning the Lord. No defense of Jesus was ever offered or allowed. The trial was conducted at night, which is illegal according to the religious leaders and their rules and their laws. But understand me, the devil loves the darkness. I could go there for a while, but I better watch myself. The devil always does his worst work at night. See, see, cases involving such serious charges were to be tried by the Sanhedrin at their regular meeting place, but yet they tried Jesus at the home of the high priest. Roman law said that there should be a waiting period of 10 days after a sentence of death, but Jesus was only allowed minutes. And Joseph, this man being educated and a member of the Sanhedrin, knew that this trial was a fallacy and a farce. And Joseph, who probably followed Jesus in private at the point of the death of Jesus, he said, I'm going to go public. I'm laying my reputation on the line and I'm going public. Is there anybody in the room today, you're ready to go public with Jesus? You want everybody to know I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me hear you if you're going to live publicly for Jesus. There were things that happened that reflected the reality that everything changed. But there was a process that I want to paint and put before you today. I want you to understand the first thing is this fact Jesus was buried alone. See, in John 19, Paul, Pilate had written over the head of Jesus and placed this sign, and the sign read this, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. See, even Pilate called him king. <laughs> Pilate may have been being uh, sacrilegious. He may have been being sarcastic, but even Pilate named him as king. And the Pharisees came to Pilate and said, man, don't do that. But right on the sign, he said he was king of the Jews. Don't, don't say he is king of the Jews. Just say that's why he said. We're uncomfortable with that. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And what, what those people needed to understand was this. Whether they liked it or not, Jesus was their king. Whether they liked it or not, Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. And I need to let America know. I need to let the world know. I need to let every doubter and hater of Christianity know the fact that you don't believe Jesus is king doesn't change the fact that Jesus is king. You can believe my, my jacket doesn't have blue in it, but it's still got blue in it because I know it's blue because I bought it and I can see it and I know that it's a blue jacket. Let me tell you, they can say Jesus ain't king, but does anybody in the room believe he is not only king, he is king of kings. See, see here's the deal. Somebody say Jesus is king. Jesus was buried alone. See, 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 every king before that time, if you study the Old Testament about 66 times, had been buried in the sepulcher or the grave of their father. There were special burial grounds where kings were buried. This is confirmed in 2 Chronicles. And kings were buried together. Now, Jesus was born a king. Usually the only way you can become, a, you start out as a prince, and the only way you can become a king is your father has to die. 
and when your father dies, then you become a king. But Jesus was born a king, and he could not be buried in the grave of his father. Oh, some of y'all already tracking with me. Why could he not be buried in the grave of his father? See, Jesus could not be buried in the grave of his father because his father is not dead. Tell your neighbor, God's not dead. Yeah, 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 God is not dead. In fact, Jesus owns no grave plot. He, he, he knew it would be a waste of money. You, you drive by any cemetery, you won't see the name of Jesus' Father on any tomb. You won't see it chiseled in granite. Drive by any graveside, any, any cemetery in Daytona, any cemetery in New York, Washington, D.C., anywhere in America, anywhere in Asia, anywhere in Asia Minor, anywhere in the Middle East, anywhere in Central or South America, you will never find the name G-O-D because God is not dead. He ain't never been dead. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. In fact, the Bible said, behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber or sleep. Not only is he not dead, he doesn't even sleep. Tell your neighbor, God is not dead. Yeah, 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 he is not dead. Jesus could not be buried in the grave of his father because God is not dead and he's not even sleeping. He's not tired, he's not weary, he doesn't sleep or slumber. So that means when you come through the storms of life and cry out to God, you'll never catch him napping, he won't be yawning, you'll never find him slumbering, he will be with you and totally awake totally alive and totally aware of your need. Somebody ought to give him praise if you believe it. Tell your neighbor, my God's not dead. He's still alive. Not only is he not dead, he ain't even sick. God's not dead, he's not worried, he's not upset, he's not uptight, he's not jacked up, he's not weak, he's not weary, he never has a cold, he never has a sore throat, he never has a bad day, he's, he is God all by himself and he is alive. So Jesus was buried alone. But the next thing you gotta know about Jesus was Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Oh, come on now. Borrow means this, it means to take or receive something with the understanding that one will return it. See, the only time you borrow something is when you ain't gonna need it for very long. I wish I could find some church folk up in here. I wish I could find somebody who believed that he's alive. I said the only time you borrow something is when you're not gonna need it for very long. <laughs> Jesus borrowed it because he wasn't going to need it for very long. Hear me in this room. I know I'm sure that some of them said to Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph, what have you done, son? You, you gave your tomb away. You, gave, you, you know, you worked on that tomb. That tomb is valuable. You gave your tomb away. Joseph said, ain't no big deal. Just kind of a weekend thing. 
because on the third day Jesus kicked the end out of that tomb he evacuated that tomb and he is alive in 2018 somebody give him praise hallelujah hallelujah see there's some things you don't borrow you, you don't borrow a tomb and you don't borrow a toothbrush. How many of y'all know that's two things you don't borrow? Have you borrowed anything? Wait at me if you borrowed some stuff. Some of y'all still have the stuff you borrowed and will you please go give it back? Because you're moving beyond I borrowed it to I stole it. Come on, somebody. But there's a couple things you don't borrow. You don't borrow a tomb and you don't borrow a toothbrush. You don't borrow nobody's toothbrush. That's nasty. Am I the only one? Don't you use my toothbrush. I bind that in the name of Jesus. Your old gingivitis self borrowing my toothbrush. Scrubbing your teeth, that's the nastiest thing. I grew up, my sister would use my toothbrush. This is why. I am who I am. I've come through so much. Somebody use your toothbrush. Come on. And I, I would go in there and I would feel the toothbrush. And it would be wet and I ain't used it yet. And you know, I found out. She told me a few years later. She said, I really wasn't using your toothbrush. I was just wetting it. So when you went in there, you thought I used it. This is why I'm brain damaged. Come on, somebody. I'm just kidding. I'm not brain damaged. But you don't mess with somebody's toothbrush. You don't borrow a tomb or a toothbrush. And here's what I know. Jesus didn't really need the tomb for himself. He got that tomb for you and me. It was all about the work that he would do for us. After 18 hours of being beaten, tortured, with blood streaming down his precious body, we need to understand it was not a pretty sight. Isaiah said he is despised and rejected of men. He's marred and mangled. He's ugly to look at. In other words, if you saw him, you would reject him. He became ugly for the ugliness of sin because you better hear me, everybody in the house and all you watching by live stream, the thousands of people that are tuning in, sin is vicious. Sin is vicious. Jesus comes to the end of his ordeal and they take down his body, this bruised, beaten, bloody body of this dead cadaver and they place it in a borrowed tomb and Jesus did this to show you and me to make us aware of the ugliness of sin. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Sin is ugly. And Jesus became ugly for the ugliness of sin. Jesus, who was unaffected, unblemished, and untouched by sin, when he went to the cross, he became sin for us, the Bible says. And that's love. Hear me, he didn't need the cross, you did. He didn't need the struggle, you did. He didn't need the stripes, you and I did. He didn't need the tomb, we did. And let me tell you something. Jesus was not martyred and he was not murdered because they could not take what he freely gave. 
Do you not think he had the power to call down a host of heaven? Let me tell you something. Jesus wasn't martyred and he was not murdered. Some say the Jews killed Jesus. No, they didn't. Some say the Romans did it. No, they didn't. Some say the devil did it. Absolutely not. Jesus said, no man take my life. He said, I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I got the power to pick it up again. If you believe he picked it up again, I want you to give him a shout right now. The devil couldn't kill Jesus, baby. Jesus died when he got ready. How you gonna kill El Shaddai? He was more than enough. It wasn't the nails that held him there. It wasn't fear of the Romans that held him there. It was love. And hear me, he, he could have called down the host of heaven, the warriors of glory, and caused the people to believe in him, but he wouldn't have finished what he started. He wanted you to understand sin is vicious, but your life is valuable. He wanted you to know how much he loved you. Sin is vicious, but we are valuable. And Jesus bought our victory. I don't know for sure what happened after they laid him in the grave and the Bible said he descended into, into the bowels of the earth. I'm not sure what happened there, but I know that when he finished the work and he rose again, he gave us the power for every sin to be washed away. Every sin that it could ever be committed could be covered by his blood. Every debt we would ever owe could be stamped paid in full because he said, it is finished. Listen, the temporary time of Jesus in the tomb did something eternal for you and me. Tell your neighbor it changed everything. But watch this, watch this. The Bible says that he was buried in a garden. In fact, John 20, 15, you remember Jesus says to the woman, woman, why are you weeping? Mary comes and he says to her, whom are you seeking? And she supposed him to be the gardener, said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, teacher, rabble now. In John 20, 15, she thinks he's the gardener. How would you feel if you'd have been Jesus? You just did all that for that woman and now she thinks you're the gardener. You just been through hell and now she thinks you're the gardener. She didn't understand the power of the resurrected Lord and she didn't know who he was until he called her name. I'm thankful that her lack of recognition of him did not stop him from calling her name. Oh, let me just park here for just a minute. See, sometimes we act like we don't know him. And when you act like you don't know somebody, they'll turn around and walk out on you. They don't have time for you. But Jesus said, you can act like you don't know me if you want to, but I'll still call your name. Is there anybody here glad that he called your name even when you acted like you didn't know him? Now watch this, he, he's buried in a garden. The Bible says this, and understand what I'm saying here today. Romans says very clearly it was through a man, not the devil, that sin entered the human race. It was through a man, a man's disobedience. And Romans says this, for as by one man's disobedience, 
disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. In other words, a man lost it and a man had to buy it back. A man named Adam lost it and a man named Jesus had to buy it back. Let me talk to you a minute. Now, Jesus rose from the dead in the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve fell, and it started a, a, a cycle of sin that went from generation to generation. And we see there that in the garden, the sin that they committed was the sin that they ate of the fruit of the tree of life. God had said to them, every other tree you can eat of, but don't take of this tree of life. But they rebelled and they took that tree and they ate of its fruit and that tree of life became a tree of death. That, that personified life began to personify death. And that's the tree in the Old Testament. But let me tell you about another tree in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, a tree of life became a tree of death. But in the New Testament, they spread him wide and they hung him high. And there he hung on a tree of death. And they were instructed not to eat the fruit off of that tree in the Old Testament. But Jesus said, this is my body that is broken for you. You need to eat what I've done. You need to feast on what I've accomplished. And in the Old Testament, the tree of death, the tree of life became a tree of death. But Jesus flipped the script and in the New Testament, the tree of death became a tree of life. I'm trying to tell you that it don't matter how bad it looks, Jesus can flip the script. He can reverse the curse. He can make a way out of no way. If you believe that, give the Lord a shout of praise right now. He turned it around. He made a way. He reversed the curse. He opened the door. And this changed everything. What Jesus did on the cross secured your opportunity for salvation. But the empty tomb changed everything. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, Jesus changed everything for me. Everything for me. Not one thing, not two things, but everything. He'll change your addiction into freedom. He'll change your bondage into liberty. He'll change your darkness into light. He'll change your mourning into dancing. He'll change your critical spirit and your hopelessness into peace and acceptance of his goodness. 
He'll change your racism. Oh, it's quiet in here. Well, I don't need to go too far. If I do, my email is Rayley at calvaryfl.com. He'll change the bondage of sexual sin. He'll free you. Whatever it is, if he can raise from the dead, he can do anything. Everybody standing, every head bowed, and every eye closed. Nobody leaving. Be respectful, please. I know we don't consider much anymore that we actually ask people to be respectful. And maybe I'm a little bit old and a little bit out of touch. But I still think that there ought to be a reverence when the Lord is dealing with the hearts of people. If you're in this room and you'd say, Pastor Rayleigh, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. There's things that alienate me and separate me from Him. And I need change. I just need to see changes in my life. I feel like I'm made for more. I feel like that I'm trapped when I shouldn't be trapped. I feel like I need changes, but I can't change myself. Pastor Rayleigh, the evidence is, is irrefutable. I know Jesus is real. I know people whose lives have been changed by him. And I need, I need that change in my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, just for a moment, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. So when you pray, pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're not where you need to be with Jesus, if there's things that alienate you from the Lord, that separate you from him, and you'd say, Pastor, since you're praying, I need to see some changes in my life. I've got sin in my life, and when you pray, pray for me. If you're not where you need to be with the Lord, when I count to three, raise your hand. Are you ready? One, pray for me, Pastor. Two, hands are already being lifted. Three, pray for me, Pastor. I'm not where I need to be. Just got things. I need to see some changes in my life. Hold those hands up right now. I just need to see some changes in my life, Pastor. I'm not where I need to be. If you raised your hand up, just hold it up and keep it up for a moment. Come on. Just, just show the Lord that you're serious, that you really want to see changes in your life. I see you in the balcony. You've slipped your hand up. I see you all across this room, scores of people. If you're not where you need to be with Jesus, you'd say, Pastor, I need things to change. When you pray, pray for me. If that's you, slip up a hand. Are you ready? Five. I'm going to lend you more, five more seconds. Four. If that's you, slip up your hand now. Three. If that's you, hold it up. Don't put it down. Two. Pray for me, Pastor. Since you're praying, pray for me. Two. One. Zero. Now, if you raised your hand and, and you really meant it, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to join me from the balcony, from overflow, from all across these rooms. This room, I want you to come right here to the front. I promise you won't come by yourself. If somebody next to you raised their hand, I want you to, I want you to scoot back so they can come. Come on, if you really meant business, I want you to come. If somebody next to you, they're apprehensive about coming, you get them by the hand and you bring them. You come with them. 
Come on, if you feel like you're made for more, I want you to come right now. If you need a new beginning, I want you to come right now. Oh, why don't you clap? This changes everything. This changes everything. This changes everything. This changes everything. Oh, come on, keep clapping because they're still coming because this changes everything. The evidence is irrefutable. Jesus is the Savior. He's your Savior. He's born a King. He's your King. Come and acknowledge Him today. Come from the balcony. Come from across the house. People are still coming. Come on, the doors are open wide. The doors are open wide. The doors are open wide. People are still coming. This is why we do what we do. This is what it's all about. Come on. Find new life in Jesus. Find a new beginning. This changes everything. Some of you sat in there, should I come? Make that move, make that step. You've been where you are long enough. It's time for a new start. That's it, buddy. People are coming, they're weeping right now. Kids are coming, adults are coming. Men and women, married folk are coming. Families are coming. I see y'all wait on you. Oh, just close your eyes for a minute. I feel led to do this. I'm gonna count down from 10. And if you need to come, I'm gonna hold the door open for you, 10. God is dealing with you for change. Come now, young lady, nine. If you need to see change in your life, eight. That's it, son, come on. If you need to come, I want you to come right now, seven. That's it, honey, we're holding it for you, six. Five, that's it, come on, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for you, honey, praise the Lord for Praise the Lord for you, sir. Look at Jesus. Here they come, three. Here they come, two. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Why not a dozen more? Why not a dozen more? Why not a dozen more? Don't miss your moment. You've been stuck too long. You've been where you are too long. Hallelujah. That's it. Come on. Come on. They said, I'm coming in under the wire. That don't matter how you come, just get here. Hallelujah. I want everybody in the room to take your hand and put it on your heart right now. Because this is what we surrender and this is what we give to the Lord. And I want everybody, one of you that's praying right now, I, I want you to look at me. This prayer is not some empty prayer that rolls off your tongue that changes nothing. But when you pray it from your heart, this changes everything. I want you to put your hand on your heart and I want you to do this, precious. I want you to raise your other hand. This hand says, Lord, I pledge allegiance to you. And this lifted hand says, I surrender because my way is not working. Pray this prayer after me loud and strong. Everybody pray. Pray, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father in, Jesus name, in Jesus' name, please forgive me, please forgive me for, all my sins. for all my sins. I've tried, I've tried. my own way. My own way. Not, working. It's not working, but there's a better way. There's a better way. 
and there's a higher way and that's your way so today I choose you you've chosen me I accept you thank you for accepting me I'm made for more and I declare from this day forward I'll never be the same again nobody move give these folks a God bless you come on everybody stand tight I'm going to dismiss all of you in a moment but I want all of you that just prayed I want you to look at me I'd like to spend a minute with you I'd like to hang out with you and talk to you for just a minute would you do that would you give me that privilege because I really preached to you from my heart today I preached what I really believe and I'm going to ask you to just turn and, and walk that way and go out that door that says exit right there and let's confirm this unless you and I unless you and I talk about what's next for you because let me tell you you're made for more God's got a plan for your life and this changes everything so everybody turn and go that way right now all you folks reach over and, and, and just touch your neighbor on the shoulder I, I used to have people hold hands but now y'all so funny about that. Right when I let you hold hands and you stop, you put hand sanitizer on. Jesus said we could pick up serpents and not get harmed, but we can't hold each other's hand. I want to tell you that you're made for more. Next Sunday, I'm going to start a new series called Made for More. And I want to just, I just want to unpack the fact that you are not destined to just get by. Have you ever thought and had times in your life when you said, man, there's got to be more? Just nod at me if I'm on track and you just said, there's got to be more. I'm going to teach beginning next Sunday, Made for More. Now, Wednesday night is going to be straight revival. We're going to have food trucks here. It's going to be so much fun. But Made for More... It's going to be life transforming. If you'll just watch this little video for just a minute, then I'll pray over you and dismiss you. But this is where I'm going next Sunday. You don't want to miss it. Watch this. Not mine, his hand, not yeah. mine. 
My assignment was conceived in his heart, his mind, and the blessing ahead will always be greater than the battle behind. So this is not the time to compromise or entertain a thousand lies and a million reasons why I can't or it won't or it's not or I'll never. I've heard it before, so shut up, devil. God didn't say he'd make it easy. He said he'd make me better, make me strong, and give me grace to carry on. So no matter the opposition, I only need one weapon. I have faith to overcome. In this, I will be confident. I'm too close to quit, and the stakes are too great for me to hesitate. So whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I'll keep coming. I'll show up, take the shot with my hands shaking. The fear is real, but it won't break me. God will not fail me, nor forsake me. I'll keep coming. And I'll step up to the battle like it's already won. Like I got the enemy on the run. I speak and believe like it's already done. In this, I will be confident. He made me a promise. He gave me a calling. I know that he's able to keep me from falling. I focus my hope. My excuses are gone. The moment to prove the power of God has come. He made me a promise. He gave me a calling. I know that he's able to keep me from falling. I focus my hope. The past is gone. The moment to prove the power of God has come. In this, I will be confident. The time is now. The odds are wrong. The haters are loud. The pressure is on. But devil, you have messed with the wrong one. I've got my sling. I've got my stone. And in the name of my God, I will overcome. In this, I will be confident. Out in here. How many of you feel like you're made for more? If you're made for more, lift up a roar in this room. Listen, if you don't come Sunday, I'm coming to look for you. I, I, listen, if you feel like you're made for more, this is going to be the moment for you to come and be a part. Don't miss next Sunday. There's a service for you. Wednesday night is revival, and we're going to have a time. Come hang out with me Wednesday night. Now do this. Slip up your hands. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And I declare in the name of Jesus, no weapon form against you shall prosper be blessed this week you're made for more give the lord a great big praise i love you can't wait to see you next sunday and wednesday night